0: Hi and welcome back. This is Brad Constantine, and this episode, or this lesson, will be 1 Nephi chapter 13. We're still in the middle of Nephi's vision here of of the future and things that are going on, so let's get into verse 1. And it came to pass that the angel spake unto me, saying, Look, and I looked, and beheld many nations and kingdoms. And the angel said unto me, What beholdest thou? And I said, I behold many nations and kingdoms. And he said unto me, These are the nations and kingdoms of the Gentiles. Now, an explanation here of the definition of Gentiles. For the Nephites, Jews are nationals, persons from the kingdom of Judah. Gentiles are persons from elsewhere. In this sense, the Latter-day Saints are called Gentiles. In this vision, the nations and kingdoms of the Gentiles are the European nations. The Gentile nations most frequently alluded to in the writings of Nephi are the Christian nations of Europe and the United States. In most places throughout Nephi's writings, the terms Gentile nations and Christian nations are interchangeable. That's from S. Michael Wilcox. The word Gentile as used in Mormon writings is not a term of reproach. It comes from gentilis, meaning of a nation, and is used in sacred history to designate the nations not of Israel. The Latter-day Saints themselves are Gentiles in part, for while they claim lineal descent from the Hebrew patriarchs, it is mostly through Ephraim who mixed himself among the people, that is, among the peoples that have furnished proselytes to Mormonism. As a result of that racial mixture, they are—they also are of Japheth's blood, and Japheth is one of the sons of Noah, through whom we believe that the Gentiles came. And that was Orson F. Whitney. Verse 4 And it came to pass that I saw among the nations of the Gentiles the formation of a great church. And the angel said unto me, Behold, the formation of a church which is most abominable above all other churches. The great and abominable and the great and abominable church or church of the devil are expressions used to identify all churches or organizations of whatever name or nature, whether political, philosophical, educational, economic, social, fraternal, civic, or religious. God and his laws, and thus from salvation in the kingdom of God, any, any church or organization of any kind, whatever, which satisfies the innate religious longings of man and keeps him from coming to the saving truths of Christ and his gospel, is therefore not of God, which slayeth the saints of God, the church which Nephi saw in vision was apostate Christianity, that which came into being after New Testament times. Yea, and tortureth them, and bindeth them down, and yoketh them with the yoke of iron, and bringeth them down into captivity. And verse 6, And it came to pass that I beheld this great and abominable church. Now, the, church, the, the term church had a slightly broader meaning anciently than it does now, and referred to an assembly, congregation, or association of people which bonded themselves together and commanded their loyalties. Thus, the term was not necessarily restricted to religious associations, and in fact, at Athens, was used to denote the legislative assembly of government. When we put all this together, it appears that the phrase great and abominable church means an immense assembly or association of people bound together by their loyalty to that which God hates. And that was from Stephen Robinson in the Book of Mormon, First Nephi. And I saw the devil that he was the founder of it. And I also saw gold, and silver, and silks, and scarlets, and fine twine linen, and all manner of precious clothing, and I saw many harlots. And the angel spake unto me, saying, Behold, the gold, and the silver, and the silks, and the scarlets, and the fine twine linen, and the precious clothing, and the harlots, are the desires of this great and abominable church. And also for the praise of the world do they destroy the saints of God, and bring them down into captivity. The word saint in Greek denotes set apart or separate and holy. If we are to be saints in our day, we need to separate ourselves from evil conduct and destructive pursuits that are prevalent in the world. That was from Elder Quentin L. Cook in 2003 conference talk. But it came to pass that I looked and beheld many waters, and they divided the Gentiles from the seat of my brethren. And it came to pass that the angel said unto me, Behold, the wrath of God is upon the seat of thy brethren. Brother Nibley said that when the Europeans discovered America, that was the wrath of God. Verse 12, And I looked and beheld a man among the Gentiles, we believe this to be Christopher Columbus, who was separated from the seed of my brethren by the many waters. And I beheld the Spirit of God, that it came down and wrought upon the man. And he went forth upon the the many waters, the Atlantic Ocean, even unto the seed of my brethren. On October 12th, eighteen or fourteen ninety two at two in the morning of a very bright and clear night with a brilliant moon, and the sea high with a good following wind, a sailor in the mast sighted either Saint Kit or San Salvador, the outmost island in the Caribbean. America was discovered and this was the stroke of doom, the wrath of God upon the seed of my brethren. Now it's interesting to think about the timing of Columbus's arrival to America, if that was in October of fourteen ninety two. Uh, It is possible that this is the Day of Atonement or the Feast of Tabernacles when Columbus lands in America. Is that symbolic, very similar to the Second Coming of Christ? Will the Savior's Second Coming also come around the Fall or around the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the Feast of Gathering? I think it probably will. I think there's a correlation here between the, the festivals of the Jews and the timing of the second coming. Now with respect to Columbus and his uh, being inspired by the Holy Ghost, um, this is from his journal. It says, He gave me joy and cunning in drawing maps and thereon on cities, mountains, rivers, islands, and the harbors each one in its place. I have seen and truly I have studied all books, cosmographies, histories, chronicles and philosophies and other arts for which our Lord with provident hand unlocked my mind, sent me upon the seas and gave me fire for the deed. Those who heard of my emprise called it foolish, mocked me and laughed, but who can doubt but that the Holy Ghost inspired me. Another occasion he said, we read that in the year of the success Columbus wrote on one occasion to Ferdinand, I came to your Majesty as the emissary of the Holy Ghost. Uh, so, C- Christopher Columbus believed that he was being inspired in his uh, quest to find uh, the uh, East Indies or the West Indies. Also, I found this interesting comment here from Orson Hyde, speaking at the celebration that Brigham Young spoke at on the Fourth of July. Um, In 1854, he said, connecting Christopher Columbus's voyage and discoveries with the ministry of of Moroni, the ancient American prophet and divine messenger and caretaker of the records of the Book of Mormon, referring to him as the Prince of America, Elder Hyde noted that Moroni presides over the destinies of America and feels a lively interest in in all our doings. This same angel was with Columbus and gave him deep impressions by dreams and by visions. Respecting this new world, he continued, The angel of God helped him, was with him on the the stormy deep, calmed the troubled elements, and guided his frail vessel to the desired haven. So here's Orson Hyde saying that uh, Moroni, uh, the angel Moroni, was helping Columbus as he traveled. Verse 13, And it came to pass that I beheld the Spirit of God that it wrought upon other Gentiles. And here we're talking about pilgrims and the Puritans. And they went forth out of captivity upon the many waters. And it came to pass that I beheld many multitudes of the Gentiles upon the land of promise. And I beheld the wrath of God that it was upon the seed of my brethren. And they were scattered before the Gentiles and were smitten. So as the conquistadors and others that landed in America Uh, began to push the Lamanites um, from their locations. Uh, This was the stroke of doom upon the Nephites. Verse 15, And I beheld the Spirit of the Lord, that it was upon the Gentiles, and they did prosper and obtain the land for their inheritance. And I beheld that they were white and exceedingly fair and beautiful, like unto my people, before they were slain. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, beheld that the Gentiles who had gone forth out of captivity did humble themselves before the Lord, and the power of the Lord was with them. And I beheld that their mother Gentiles were gathered together upon the waters and upon the land also to battle against them. And now we're talking about the Revolutionary War. Uh, The French and English and Spanish that came over to fight eighteen and I beheld that the power of God was with them and I also and also that the wrath of God was upon all those that were gathered together against them to battle and I Nephi beheld that the Gentiles that had gone out of captivity were delivered by the power of God out of the hands of all other nations we know that uh, that even though the uh, American settlers were poorly equipped and poorly clothed and poorly fed, and were the smaller of the army that God was with them, and they were able to defeat the British army uh, in the establishment of America. Verse 20, And it came to pass that I Nephi beheld that they did prosper in the land, and I beheld a book, and it was carried forth among them. Here we're talking about the Bible that the Americans have. And the angel said unto me, Knowest thou the meaning of the book? And I said unto him, I know not. And he said, Behold, it proceedeth out of the mouth of a Jew. And I Nephi beheld it. And he said unto me, The book that thou beholdest is a record of the Jews, which contains the covenants of the Lord. And this is talking about the Old Testament, which he hath made unto the house of Israel. And it also containeth many of the prophecies of the holy holy prophets. And it is a record like unto the engravings which are upon the plates of brass, save there are not so many. Nevertheless, they contain the covenants of the Lord, which he hath made unto the house of Israel. Wherefore, they are of great worth unto the Gentiles. So here he's saying how the Old Testament had less less scriptures in it than the brass plates had. But this is the Old Testament that he's talking about. 24. And the angel of the Lord said unto me, Thou hast beheld that the book proceeded forth from the mouth of a Jew. And when it proceeded forth from the mouth of a Jew, it contained the fullness of the gospel of the Lord. Now he's talking about the New Testament of whom the 12 apostles bear record and they bear record according to the truth which is in the lamb of god wherefore these things go forth from the jews in purity unto the gentiles according to the truth which is in god so at the time that the bible was written it it was in its purity it had been it hadn't been ruined yet From sundry revelations, this is Joseph Smith speaking, which had been received, it was apparent that many important points touching the salvation of men had been taken from the Bible or lost before it was compiled. From what we can draw from the scriptures relative to the teaching of heaven, we are induced to think that much instruction had been given to man since the beginning, which we do not possess now. I believe the Bible is read when it came from the pen of the original writers. Ignorant translators, careless transcribers, or designing and corrupt priests have committed many errors. And that was Joseph Smith. Verse 26, And after they go forth by the hand of the twelve apostles of the Lamb from the Jews unto the Gentiles, thou seest the formation of that great and abominable church, which is the abominable, which is most abominable above all other churches, for, behold, they have taken away from the gospel of the Lamb many parts which are plain and most precious, and also many covenants of the Lord have they taken away. And all this have they done, that they might pervert the right ways of the Lord, that they might blind the eyes and harden the hearts of the children of men. The angel makes it clear to to Nephi that the corruptions of the Bible were not simply a result of subtle accidents of hand and eye, but rather a premeditated program with evil ends in mind. Those involved in this abominable enterprise were a part of the mother of harlots and thus represented and accomplished the purposes of him who is perdition. That was from Millet and McConkie. Verse 28, Wherefore thou seest that after the book hath gone forth from through the hands of the great and abominable church, that there are many plain and precious things taken away from the book, which is the book of the Lamb of God. And he, again, he's talking about the New Testament. And after these plain and precious things were taken away, it goeth forth unto all the nations of the Gentiles. And after it goeth forth unto all the nations of the Gentiles, yea, even across the many waters, which thou hast seen with the Gentiles which have gone forth out of captivity, thou seest, because of the many plain and precious things which have gone have been taken out of the book, which were plain unto the understanding of the children of men, according to the plainness which is in the Lamb of God, because of these things which are taken away out of the gospel of the Lamb, and exceedingly great many do stumble, yea, insomuch that Satan hath great power over them." So what exactly was taken out of the Bible that causes such stumbling blocks for the people? in an editorial published by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints we read what the ancient biblical text was really like the most striking thing about it was that it, that as originally written the old testament was a testimony and witness for christ if we had the old testament as it was originally written mankind would have a more a most powerful An infallible witness that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed the Christ, that he gave the law of Moses, that he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that his coming into mortality was plainly foretold in a detailed manner in Holy Writ. The witness for Christ was the most important thing in that ancient record, and that is what was eliminated by enemies of Christ who sought to destroy all scriptural marks of identification which might have clearly identified him as the Savior of the world. And that's in a book entitled Unlocking the Book of Mormon. Verse 30. Nevertheless, thou beholdest that the Gentiles who have gone forth out of captivity and have been lifted up by the power of God above all other nations upon the face of the land, which is choice above all other lands, which is the land that the Lord God hath covenanted with with thy father, that his seed should have for the land of their inheritance. Wherefore? thou seest that the Lord God will not suffer, that the Gentiles will utterly destroy the mixture of thy seed, which are among thy brethren." Now it's interesting, he's talking about his seed being the Nephites, and uh, we we know that the Nephites were completely destroyed by the Lamanites, so he's saying here that even his seed is going to survive. So both Nephi and Laman's seed would be spared. There is no such thing as a pure Lamanite. So we know that after Christ that the Nephites and the Lamanites were combined. Uh, So you couldn't distinguish a Nephite from a Lamanite uh, after that. So the descendants of Nephi are still with us. Verse 31, Neither will he suffer that the Gentiles shall destroy the seed of thy brethren, so that Lamanites will not completely be destroyed. Neither will the Lord God suffer that the Gentiles shall forever remain in that awful state of blindness which thou beholdest they are in because of the plain and most precious parts of the gospel of the lamb which have been kept back by that abominable church whose formation thou hast seen wherefore saith the lamb of god i will be merciful unto the gentiles unto the visiting of the remnant of the house of israel in great judgment and it came to pass that the angel of the lord spake unto me saying behold saith the lamb of god After I have visited the remnant of the house of Israel, and this remnant of whom I speak is the seed of thy father, wherefore, after I have visited them in judgment, and smitten them by the hand of the Gentiles, and after the Gentiles do stumble exceedingly because of the most precious and plain and precious parts of the gospel of the Lamb, which have been kept back by that abominable church, which is the mother of harlots, saith the Lamb, I will be merciful unto the Gentiles in that day insomuch that I will bring forth unto them in mine own power much of my gospel, which shall be plain and precious, saith the Lamb. And now he's talking about the Book of Mormon that will come forth among the Gentiles. That the Gentiles will be the first opportunity to accept the gospel. Once rejected, the Gentiles will be without excuse, and then the gospel will go to the Jews. Verse 35, For behold, saith the Lamb, I will manifest myself unto thy seed, that they shall write many things which I shall minister unto them, which shall be plain and precious, and after thy seed shall be destroyed, and dwindle in unbelief, and also the seed of thy brethren. And destroyed in this context means to be scattered, not really wiped out or killed. Behold, these these things shall be hid up, and Moroni we know buried the plates, to come forth unto the Gentiles by the gift and power of the Lamb. The Book of Mormon was translated by the gift and power of God. Joseph only took a total of about sixty-three days to translate the Book of Mormon. No mere man could have written such a book in such a short span of time without the help of God. 36. And in them shall be written my gospel, saith the Lamb, and my rock, the rock of revelation, and my salvation. The purpose of the Book of Mormon is to bring us to Christ, not to expound a fullness of gospel doctrine. Verse thirty-seven. And blessed are they who shall seek to bring forth my Zion at that day, for they shall have the gift and the power of the Holy Ghost. And if they endure unto the end, they shall be lifted up at the last day, and shall be saved in the everlasting kingdom of the Lamb. And whoso shall publish peace, yea tidings of great joy, how beautiful upon the mountains shall they be! And it came to pass that I Nephi, uh, I'm sorry, it came to pass that I beheld the remnant of the seed of my brethren, and also the book of the Lamb of God which had proceeded forth from the mouth of the Jew, that it came forth from the Gentiles unto the remnant of the seed of my brethren. When Melvin J. Ballard visited the Fort Peck and Blackfoot reservations, he said he met many who knew him as soon as they saw him, and asked for the book which he was to bring them. They said they had seen him in dreams, bringing to them a book. When he handed them the Book of Mormon, they adopted it gladly and could read and understand it. He declared that it was his belief that one of the three Nephites had been laboring among them for years, teaching them the gospel and preparing them for our missionaries when they should come. And This was quoted from uh, the fulfillment of the Book of Mormon prophecies. Verse 39, And after it had come forth unto them, I beheld other books which came forth by the power of the Lamb from the Gentiles unto them, unto the convincing of the Gentiles, and the remnant of the seed of my brethren, and also the Jews, who were scattered upon all the face of the earth, that the records of the prophets and of the twelve apostles of the Lamb are true. And I wonder if he's talking here about the Dead Sea Scrolls, maybe? Uh, and the, verse 40, And the angel spake unto me, saying, These last records, and he's probably referring here to the Doctrine and Covenants, the Book of Mormon, the Pro of the Great Price, and the inspired translation of the Bible which thou hast seen among the Gentiles, shall establish the truth of the first, which are of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, and shall make known the plain and precious things which have been taken away from them, and shall make known to all kindreds, tongues, and people, that the Lamb of God is the Son of the Eternal Father, and the Savior of the world, and that all men must come unto him, or they cannot be saved. And they must come according to the words which shall be established by the mouth of the Lamb. And the words of the Lamb shall be made known in the records of thy seed, as well as in the records of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. We don't have the records of all the. Uh, we don't have all the records of the twelve apostles. We have a few of the apostles. There are these records that come forth. For example, the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Philip. There are fourteen sayings of Jesus in the Gospel of Thomas, which have been accepted and included in the New Revised Version of the Bible. This wasn't discovered until 1950, and yet it is accepted as genuine sayings of Jesus that are coming forth. And that was from Hugh Nibley wherefore they both shall be established in one for there is one god and one shepherd over all the earth these last records which were to come forth to bear witness of the book of the lamb of god which is the bible are the book of mormon the doctrine of covenants and the revelations of the lord to joseph smith joseph smith's translation of the bible helped restore many of the plain and precious things which were lost verse 42 and the time cometh that he shall manifest himself unto all nations, both unto the Jews and also unto the Gentiles. And after he has manifested himself unto the Jews and also unto the Gentiles, then he shall manifest himself unto the Gentiles and also unto the Jews. And the last shall be first, and the first shall be last." I think it's interesting as we as we contemplate what's been said here about the coming forth of the various scriptures and how we have these uh, scriptures today, the Book of Mormon, to help us understand better the, the Bible. And what a blessing it is to have. I bear testimony that the Book of Mormon is true. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. If you like this podcast, you can share it and like it. And if you have any comments, be sure and and leave those too. Thank you. See you next time.